Ephesians. This is the book that keeps talking about the mystery revealed in Christ. And we're continuing to see how the work of Jesus, how He saves us by grace alone, that that changes everything. The whole second half of the book is showing how the grace of God changes us. So let me let me pray. Oh, and A.J. Smith is here. Wow, this is like an awesome night. So sorry. I just thought. I just thought. All right, let me pray. Father, we uh, ask that you would um, be near us tonight. That your spirit uh, would enlighten our minds uh, and renew our hearts. Um, that you would enable us to uh, see Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would not leave uh, without being changed, without being confronted by the fact that Jesus uh, is better than we think. Uh, so would you do that in your son's name, I pray. Amen. All right, here's Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's God's Word. He gives it to us because He loves us and He wants us to know it. Alright, one big thing, the new self. And under that we're going to see what putting on the new self looks like. So first, the new self. This is incredibly uh, important in understanding Christianity and the process of change that happens in someone's life. Paul begins telling these Ephesians Christians in, in verse 17, who are, by the way, for the most part Gentiles, to no longer walk as Gentiles do. Think about that. Because in the Gentile, because the Gentiles have futility of minds. Verse 22. Why? This is what's interesting. The former manner of life is characterized as darkness, as, uh, as alienated from life of God, of ignorance. And this is a big claim from the Bible. It is saying this, that if you are outside of Christ, your life is marked by blindness, by darkened understanding. Sinclair Ferguson, he puts it this way, he's he's a pastor, that intellectual futility is rooted not in the hiddenness of God, but in the hardness of the human heart. And that might be be hard to hear. But what what Paul is saying is that in the last analysis, the reason for unbelief in Jesus is not an intellectual matter. It's a moral and spiritual matter. There is a not wanting Jesus to be real. 
So uh, I went to Harry Potter World two weeks ago. So you're going to see there's going to be a lot of Harry Potter illustrations coming back. And I'll welcome back to the fall. But if you remember, uh, if you read Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, okay, what happens at the end of book three is Voldemort returns. And so the beginning of the beginning of uh, book four, some people know that Voldemort has returned, and e- and all this evidence starts pointing to the fact that he's back. But who keeps denying it? It's Cornelius Fudge in the Ministry of the Magic. And every bit of evidence that arises that proves that Voldemort is back, they explain it away. They give credit to something else. Why? Because they don't want it to be true. They, they are biased against Voldemort coming back. So everything they see, they run through a prism to make sure that it's not that. And look, we are, all, we are always inviting skeptics. And we want you to bring your doubts, your questions. We encourage you to bring that. And there are reasons to believe. I hope you felt the space to figure that out. But I want to ask you tonight to examine something if you're, if you're intellectually trying to figure it out. Would you dare question your own perceived neutrality? Because the Bible does say that you are not neutral in your investigation. That there's a real hardness of heart. That you don't want the real Jesus to be true. You don't want Him to be true. And that radically affects your reasoning. And so you begin in the wrong place unless you dare to ask yourself this. Why am I so opposed to the real God being true? Would you actually examine that? But Paul says, Christian, you have learned Christ. And I love the way that he puts that. He doesn't say you've learned about Christ. He doesn't say you learned that Christ did some good things and taught some good principles. He says you have learned Him. You've seen Him. You're not darkened anymore. You know Him. In the same way that some of you, many of you are going to get married, and you're going to read a lot of books before you get married. Getting prepared for marriage, all this kind of stuff, and that's good. But you will realize in marriage that all that reading is different from actually learning your spouse. Learning her or him. And that's what this is saying, is that truth ultimately is a person. It's Jesus. He is truth. And fellowship and communion with Him is real. And so a Christian in the Bible usually isn't called a believer. He's usually not even called a Christian. The most common way to describe a Christian in the Bible is this. In Christ. You're wrapped up in Him. You're this new creation. You're so united to Him that you're His body. And so now you're new. And so Paul says that old self, that old manner of life, it's not you anymore. And so you put on the new self, which Paul calls the likeness of God, this true righteousness, this true holiness, because that's who you are. And so what Paul expects is that we're going to think and feel like we are not new. You, You will feel like you're alone sometimes. And Paul says you're not alone. You will feel guilty. And Paul says you're not guilty in Christ. You will will feel dead. And Paul says you're alive. You've got to put that stuff on. And so uh, Brian Habig, I quote him a lot, he talks about a study one time that he read where they did some research and they realized that most college-age men and recent graduates men, 
they usually wear clothes that are too big for them. You know what the reason is? It's because most men, if you were like me, grew up and your mom just bought your wardrobe. And, and your mom bought your wardrobe too big so that you could grow into it and, and didn't have to change clothes so fast. And that's just what felt normal to you. Well, then what happens is I married Liza and I had whitewashed baggy jeans that I thought that that's what was fit. That's what was comfortable. She changed my wardrobe very slowly. And when I put on the jeans that fit, they were too tight. I didn't like them. They didn't feel right. But I had to I had to go into the reality that this is what actually fits. That's what Paul is saying. It's actually going to take a long time for your body to wear the clothes, the clothes of Jesus that are the real you. Wear the clothes that fit. It won't feel like it's you. The old you feels good sometimes. It feels great to live for people's approval. Deceit and jealousy feel so natural. And Paul says, that's not you. We wear holiness. We wear the clothes that fit. So what does it look like to put on the new self? And here, I'm stealing a ton from a guy named Ricky Jones, who, by the way, is coming in April. Uh, he'll be speaking at REF. It'll be awesome. Three things. He says to put off falsehood and to put on honesty, to put off anger and to put on kindness. Uh, I think it's my third. Uh, I can't remember. I'll get to it. Uh, put off falsehood and put on honesty. Verse 25, Christian, who you used to be, your former self, was full of falsehood. But now the clothes that fit, the real you, is honest, is truthful. That's what he's saying. And yes, that means we shouldn't lie. Absolutely. But that's not just what Paul is getting at. Remember, he's saying, I'm going to your core, to your identity, to who you are. And so what you have to ask is, why do I lie? Honestly, why do I lie? And here we go. This week, all right, my Sigma Chi's here will know what I'm talking about. Every Monday I teach a Bible study at the Sigma Chi house at 6.30 every Monday. And as usual, uh, on Monday morning I uh, texted who's in charge because those immature adult college students a lot of times don't, don't remember that we're having it. And he said, you know, he said, yes, we're having it at 6.30. Got on the schedule. I go to uh, Annie and Shelby's soccer game at 5.45. It's 6.35. I don't have any clue that I'm supposed to be in a Bible study. Somehow it's, it's completely gone. I get a text that says, hey, we got a good group here. I panic. I start running to the car. But here's the text, and, and there's actually traffic building. Here's the text that I send back. I am on my way just a few minutes late. That's kind of true. Kind of. But really, what was I doing? I didn't want him to know I'd forgotten. So I just kind of made it sound like, oh yeah, I've been on my way. There's some bad traffic. I'll be there in just a second. Why did I lie? Because I can't stand the truth. I can't stand to be seen that I'm just like you immature college students and forget things. I ha- you have to see me as a competent adult campus minister. And so I had to shame that. And look, that's why we lie. From like little exaggerations that we don't even think about that just sheds me in a good light to like all out lies. We produce falsehood because we are terrified of the truth. The truth that, 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 that I fail, that I'm not who everybody thinks that I am. 
And so I got to keep it up. Like we just lie to guard our identity. That's what you've got to look at. If your identity is academics or, or getting in a certain school, you will lie to make sure you make it through class. You will lie to be seen as smart. You will lie in stories if you have to be seen as funny. You will lie in morality. You will lie in morality if you have to be seen as good. You will fear the truth and lie if my reputation is the only thing that makes me somebody. And don't you see, Paul is saying those aren't the clothes that fit you. Honesty is what fits you. Why? Because being funny and being competent or being good, all that stuff's good stuff, but that's not your identity anymore. That's not who you are. You don't have to cover. Because Jesus' death has covered your sin and taken it away. And Jesus' righteousness has covered all of my lack of righteousness and all of my immaturity. And the new me is in Christ. And so you can see me. I can see all of myself and all of my flaws and be okay because that doesn't define me anymore. Jesus' life and death does. The truth of who He is begins to heal me. And then he says we have to speak the truth to each other, to our neighbor. Listen to how he puts it, because we're members of one another. See, what he is saying, remember, he's, he's talked about this a lot, but we're, if you're a Christian, we are now one body. That's how united we are. And he's saying if you live in falsehood, it will cause the body dysfunction. It will cause the community of us to not function rightly. Why? Think about that now. If your brain lies to your hand about, about whether a stove is hot, your hand gets damaged. If your eyes lie to your foot about a wall being there, you run into it. It will damage you. And the new self, the new community, it is a place of honesty. And to not be that is actually hurting each other. And so there's got to be honesty about ourselves and honesty about each other. If you lie to the doctor and refuse to tell him what's wrong with you, he will not help you. And if all that the body of Christ, if all we ever hear from you is, hey, I'm fine, I'm good, my family's great, everything is A-OK, then we just can't be here for you. And we want to be. And there needs to be some honesty about who we are. Remember that great scene, Harry Potter, I'm going back to it. This is an awesome scene though. When Harry's talking with Dumbledore about, he says, you know who? And he says, I've been thinking about Volt. He says, but you know who? And Dumbledore says, Harry. He snaps. He says, it's Voldemort. Always use the proper name for something. Or else the fear increases when you don't call it by its name. And the new creation traffics in honesty. And we have nothing to be afraid of. And so I can open myself up to you. We can name things specifically. You don't need to hide behind generalities anymore and just say, I kind of struggle with lust. When what you mean is porn. Like, say it. It, It's not your identity anymore. There's a freedom from that. And I don't have to fear your disapproval anymore. And so I can be honest with you. And I can confront you with loving truth. And so Paul says the new self is honest because you realize You've been saved by the truth of Jesus. Jesus says, not the truth is out there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the truth of His sacrifice and His righteousness that heals you. 
So the new self is the likeness of God, one of honesty and truth. And then he says we put off anger and we put on kindness. Verse 26, 27. The old self is marked by anger. Anger that lingers. Hence it says don't let the sun go down on it. It's anger that's sinful. Yes, there's a righteous anger. I'll just be honest. I don't know too many times I've actually had righteous anger. I think the moments of righteous anger are pretty few. But So Paul is dealing with what I think is our normal anger. So the best translation is probably the NIV, which says, In your anger do not sin. Paul assumes we're angry. And he says the new self deals with anger differently. So again, it's, a, it's about our core and who we are. Why are you angry? Why am I angry? Well, it's when I don't have something that I think I really need, and that gets blocked, I get angry. It's an illustration I always use. Premarital counseling, many conversations with you, I just keep using it. <coughs> Imagine you're in a traffic jam. Okay, huge traffic jam, and you're getting, just, we'll put me there. And I'm getting really upset. I'm, you know, I'm hitting the steering wheel, and you ask me, why are you angry? I'm going to say it's the traffic jam. If the traffic jam is the cause of my anger, everybody in the traffic jam should have a uniform response, right? The problem is, there's a girl in the car next to me, and she is happy. She's like singing in her car. So why am I angry and she's not? It's because the traffic jam has blocked something that I really need. And it's probably making me late to something and I need to look like I'm a good campus minister. So I'm angry. This has gotten in the way of my identity. And so the anger comes back to who you are. And what you find is if there's, if there's no one place that you can blame something on, the anger turns inward. And it'll show itself in that slow, enduring bitterness. Right? Verse 31. Because I, don't, I just haven't gotten what I deserve in life. I don't have friends I deserve. I don't have the happiness I deserve. I don't have the perceived future I deserve because of all my hard work. And there's this self-righteousness that breeds bitterness. And you turn inward. If you haven't gotten what you really need. And you can't blame it on anybody. Or the anger turns outward. If you can place the blame on someone else. Then you move towards wrath and slander. Verse 31. And you go towards that person. Because he's the problem. And anger always destroys. And you need to destroy that person. So the girl who got the guy. Ah, she's just a flirt. Right? Right? And you slander. You get her out of the way. Or if you needed to be successful and you don't catch the brakes, then the guy who who does, you can't stand it. He's just privileged, right? He gets it all. Or your anger goes towards your parents because you didn't have have what everybody else had. I've gotten so mad at my kids. Sorry, I was here. I've gotten so mad at my kids. Do you know why? Because all I need is some rest. And my kids keep waking me up at night. I can't get over this freaking cold. But think what I'm saying. All I need is rest. I think. And when they get in the way of that, I get angry. And so anger always tries to get rid of what you think you really need. So all all I need is a nap. All I need is to have friends. All I need. And the gospel says, that's not who you are. That's the old stuff. Your identity is Jesus. Because your ultimate need... You needed to be saved from sin. You needed to be made righteous. Your ultimate need is to be with Jesus. 
And my old self was so ruined in sin that God in His great love for me patiently endured wickedness for thousands of years and then at the right time He came to this earth and He was, <coughs> he was reviled <coughs> and He was killed and He was put on a cross. Why? Because my greatest need is salvation from my sin and to be with Jesus. And He bears my sin. He takes my spot on the cross. And because anger always destroys, God the Father's anger goes out on Jesus when He bears my sin and it destroys Jesus so that there's no wrath left for me. So that I can be His. My sins have been permanently obliterated in Jesus. And so now you're in Christ. Your new self is with Him. You have all you need. Yes, our sin can still arouse God's anger. It still grieves the Holy Spirit. But there's no condemning wrath. The Lord's posture towards you is one as a father who loves his children. Which means you are not the obstacle. You aren't the obstacle that's getting in the way of what he really wants. You are what he wants. He crucified his son to get you. You're what he wants. And he wants you to be his. And he loves you. And there's nothing left between you. And that means I can put down my anger. And I can put on kindness and tenderness and forgiveness instead of anger. And we just live in an age where kindness isn't prized like it should be. For whatever reason, I think Christians are known as angry people. And self-righteous and condemning people. St. Augustine uh, who's converted uh, under An- this is some old names for you, but under Anselm's teaching, really under An- Anselm's ministry, he was this great pastor. And later on, after he moved on, he wrote back to An- Anselm, and he said this. He said, "The way that you most ministered to me, the way that I most grew, was not your great teaching; it was your kindness you showed to me." Isn't that incredible? Because the reflection of Christ is tender-hearted and kindness towards people because that's who God is. We are all products of Jesus' love and kindness. Do you think about it? When you think about Jesus, does tenderness come to mind? Does gentleness? Because if you've learned Christ, it's because of His kindness. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Not His harshness. And then lastly, he says, put off, put off taking and put on generosity. Right? He says, let the thief no longer steal. He's, and he says, don't let your uh, talk corrupt or degrade or take dignity away from somebody. And so you get this picture that the old self, the old self is just a consumer. Again, why do we steal? Because Jesus says, Where, whatever you treasure, there your heart will be also. Jesus keeps going back to the heart and says the heart controls you. And if what makes you somebody, if what you treasure is your is possessions, if that's what makes you somebody, you will steal. Because you have to have it. Maybe it'll be the full outworking of stealing. Maybe you'll steal taxes one day. But it might just be that you steal people's dignity as you climb the ladder to become wealthy. Or you'll steal someone else's work to make decent grades so that you can be successful. If your heart treasures comfort, you'll be lazy and just steal from others. If your heart treasures having a good reputation, you will steal others' dignity by degrading them with corrupt talk, by putting them beneath you. And the new self, he says, you work so that you can be a giver. 
so you can give to those in need. Because that's how we learned Christ. How did we learn Christ? This is incredible. Jesus came to this earth and He worked very hard. He always worked at loving people perfectly and He always trusted His Father. And at 33 years of His life, when He goes to the cross, He has earned a full intact righteousness. That when God looks at, the Father looks at Him, what what Jesus should hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. He has earned it. But he goes to the cross, and instead of getting the commendation from God, the approval from God the Father, he takes wrath. He gets separated from him. Why? Because he earned something to give it away. And he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his beauty. He gives us his forgiveness. Because we're in need. That's how generous he is. So that now I'm telling you, if you're in Christ... When you reach the end, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because Jesus has given you His righteousness. And there's more than enough for you. And that just pushes back the old self that just has to cling to other things. So that means instead of taking, I'm free to give. I'm free to give money. I'm free to give time. I'm free to look around and actually ask, Instead of degrading you, will anybody be encouraged or blessed by what I'm about to say? Because if not, I'm free to not say it. We can give. You are different, Christian. You are alive. Paul's saying, wear the clothes that fit. And they don't feel right at first. And, And even at 35, some things don't feel right. But I'm telling you, it's who you are. And as a community begins to wear those things, I'm telling you it's powerful. If you go back and read about the early church in Acts 2, here's what it describes that they're doing. That they're breaking bread together. That they're hearing the Word of God. That they are sharing with everybody until there's nothing in need. They are being this community that reflects Christ. And it says people are just pouring in. Because they can't figure out what in the world that community is about. But I want to be there. So where do we go from here? This is where I'll bring it to a close. It's easy to be discouraged by this list. It's easy to feel beaten up. But I actually want you to be encouraged tonight. Because think with me. Paul is writing to Ephesians Christians, right? He's saying, don't live like Gentiles. That's who you once were. Put off, put on. Why is he writing to Ephesians Christians? It's not because they're not Christians. It's because they're struggling to put on the new self, to be who they are. Which means this. If you're struggling with this, you're an ordinary Christian. That's what you are. (coughs) If you're not struggling tonight, you might actually be blind. It's the new you that creates the conflict. that makes you see who you really are and who Christ is. Sorry, I blame my kids. Um, so look, if you are seeing how much you struggle and how far you fall, we fall short and that I, can, I keep needing to put on the new self, yes, press on. You're actually where you're supposed to be. <coughs> we just, I get so mad that I am exactly where the Bible tells me I'm supposed to be. I just keep thinking I'm going to be better. But this process that you've actually walked through tonight of being exposed 
That's the sign you're not darkened in understanding anymore and you have learned Christ. Quit being mad that you're not better than the Bible says that you're supposed to be. And I'll end with this. I might end by dying. <laughs> there goes my lung. Um, there's this great scene in Cinderella Man. And it's in actually like the first ten minutes right where there's this great boxer, J.J. Braddock. He has actually hurt his hand. So he's now trying to find money at the shipyards, the Great Depression. So if you're in New York City, you're feeling the worst. And the oldest son has watched as when things have gotten desperate in some of his friends' uh, situations, the children have been sent away out to rural areas with, with aunts or grandparents, something like that, because poverty didn't quite hit as hard if you lived on a farm in, in New York City. And so Braddock's oldest son, Jay, is probably about 10 years, he's, he's watched that. And so he steals some salami because he doesn't want to be sent away. And he's trying to help out. And Braddock, when he gets home, he, feel, he, he realizes what happens and he, he's taking his son back to the, uh, to the grocer and he you know, makes it give it back. And as they're, as they're walking back, his son's starting to cry, you know, embarrassed. And, and his dad leans down and he says, look, I know things ain't easy. But what you did is stealing. Do you understand that? He says, we don't steal ever. He says, you, will you give me your word? And he says, I promise. And he says, I promise I will never send you away. And he reaches for a handshake, and instead, he just, the son just starts weeping and jumps into his arms, and he carries him home. Look what happened. He reminded the boy, we don't steal. He said, that's not us. But then he doesn't say, so help me if you ever do that again, because I'm sending you away. He says, that, he says, I will never send you away. Ever. You're mine. Your position is secure, son. So you don't need to steal. And what Jesus is saying is if you're seeing all this stuff, is He's saying, yes, we don't steal. We don't live in falsehood. That's not who we are. But you've forgotten. I will never send you away. I will never leave you. I'll never quit loving you. That's what you've forgotten. Come back into His arms. See that He is so glad that you're His. And that love and that tenderness, that security is what enables you to keep putting on the old self. Keep learning Christ. He is the point. It's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for hopefully gently exposing us tonight. Um, I pray that You would draw us in that we may learn Christ again and again. And see that we are in you. Lord, maybe there are some tonight you're asking for the first time, why do I oppose you? Man, would you break through with your grace and show that you love people who run away from you? That's just in Jesus' name. Amen.